Guys, good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? You good? Good. We're going to turn our attention now to uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 8 this morning, and I just invite you to follow along. We're going to either be on the screens or in your pew Bible, either way works. And uh, before we get into the text this morning, would you just say a quick word of prayer with me? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the ways in which um, you move for the ways in which uh, you are uh, speaking to us as a congregation, Lord. I pray that you would speak uh, to every person here, Lord, through your word, through um, the ways in which uh, you have chosen through worship, Lord, through uh, communion. Um, and all of this, Lord, in our prayer, may we come to know you more. And may, may it be a deep and full sense uh, that you love us, that you care for us, that you want what's best for us. And Lord, uh, may that re be revealed now as we study your word. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, as we're going through and looking at God's wisdom, as Paul is teaching into this church that has many different things that they need to learn, <laughs> um, and one of them, a unique one, we will learn about this morning. It says this, now about food sacrificed to idols. I know that was when you came in this morning, that's what the big question on your heart was, uh, but we're going to learn some good things from this text. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through him, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But now everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificed food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us nearer to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols so that a weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge? When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, 
If what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. This is a really interesting issue. In our culture, we might call it a trigger issue, right? This is an issue that was causing a problem in this Corinthian church, and yet the way that Paul is going to handle this issue that has become a point of contention is not the way that would have been expected by either side that is in this dispute. On the one hand, we have the group that is uh, this group that we've been really looking at. Paul's really speaking to this group that's really obsessed with human knowledge. Uh, this, this wisdom that comes from the Greek society that they had prized and elevated and put above all else. And this group, in this scenario, has taken their knowledge, their intelligence, and they have also uh, uh, applied it to their knowledge of the scripture, right? Actually, theologically here, they're correct. They, they see that there is only one God, and so who cares if I want to have a stake in the temple that's dedicated to the idol worship, because I know that there's one true God, and so it doesn't affect me, it doesn't uh, make me sin or do anything wrong just because I'm eating this meat in this temple. And so because of their head knowledge and their understanding of correct theology, they feel like they can do what they want. They have a right. They understand that uh, they have many rights and privileges afforded to them by Christ. There's freedom. They have the good theology. And yet, this issue is becoming a problem. It's a stumbling block to this other group. This other group who sees this, uh, this act of eating meat, sacrificed to idols, to lowercase gods, as a defilement as a way to expose yourself to a culture, uh, cultural practice of idolatry that would put you at risk. And really, what they're saying is that there's no distinction here. Like, how do I know you're a Christian? How do I know that you're part of Jesus' church if you're in there in the pagan temple eating meat sacrificed to idols and you, you, you're not acting any differently? than you used to act before you became a part of the church. And so here's two groups with a legitimate dispute against each other with good theological points. And we might say here, uh, is this an essential issue, right? Do, is this fight that is preventing people from knowing uh, Jesus, uh, that is, is really preventing the church from displaying Christ-like love to one another, to brothers and sisters, is it this issue worth the fight? Um, is it worth going to war over this issue? Um, or is this what we call a non-essential issue? Meaning it's one of those issues where based on the context and based on who you're dealing with, you may actually handle it differently. That there might be space uh, to think through the relationship and the people involved, and there's not some clear-cut answer uh, that would apply in every situation so much as there is a principle that needs to be elevated that is being ignored. And if you've been tracking along with us, it's probably easy to come to mind what the principle is 
that needs to be elevated that's being ignored. It's this principle of love that we're really going to see developed as we get into chapter 13 here. But right now, we need to understand again that Paul's trying to teach this church that you can have all of the head knowledge. But if that head knowledge is not in service to love, then it actually can lead to a lot of quarreling and strife and relationships that are broken. And in fact, the warning here is that this head knowledge, if applied without love, can actually prevent brothers and sisters from coming to know Jesus Christ. And so by the way in which we deal with our knowledge with one another, the way that we use our brains and our intelligence uh, can get in the way. Even good theology held in the wrong way without the posture of love can hurt a church. So let's spend a little bit of time because I think the question here, we've really been beating up on knowledge, haven't we, over the last few weeks? And yet, the reality is, is that we have some really smart people in our congregation. And sometimes I worry that if I just go after God's wisdom, God's wisdom, but we don't really talk about what's important about knowledge, what's good about knowledge, we might be negating something really good. That is uh, something that we all know is good and useful and right, especially if it's applied in the right way. Just for fun, let me show you a picture uh, just to help you get my, my point here about knowledge. Uh, my wife sent this to me. This is from the Trader Joe's parking lot. Maybe some of you can read it, but I'll read it to you. It says, I am so bad at driving. I am sorry with like three exclamation points. That is the weirdest bumper sticker that I've ever seen in my life. It is just a flat-out acknowledgement I'm bad at driving, and I apologize to you offhanded before uh, I even, uh, <laughs> before, uh, just, to, just to let you know it's my fault, right? And if you look at this car, you can kind of see there's already bumps in this car. Like, this thing is messed up. It's a full-on apology right away. And sometimes you're like, all right, some knowledge would be good. Like, don't just tell me you're a bad driver and go out on the road. I don't want that. I want you to actually apply your knowledge to the road, and I can hold you accountable to this. Although I do like the counter knowledge here that is like everybody thinks they're so great at driving in LA, but they're really terrible at it. I might as well just admit what is all true, that I am really bad at driving. But knowledge uh, is a good thing, right? Applied in the right way. Having some knowledge uh, will give you uh, ability to have a career will give you uh, the ability to uh, execute on so much of what uh, may be your natural ability and talent. And so for those uh, who think that today uh, is just picking on knowledge or that this, this whole series is just picking on knowledge, I think we need to just be reminded that there are some really, really smart people, and those people can take their intelligence and put it in the service of love. And there are some really smart people that fall so in love with their own intelligence that they can go around 
showing everyone how smart they are and hurting people and making them feel less than because knowledge is a form of power and yet this teaching is about community and so whenever there is power uh, and, and uh, there's a community, there's a sense by which we need to apply the principles that Jesus teaches us about power. That Jesus shows us a new way to deal with power. It's not that you don't want to get smarter. Of course, that's a good thing. P- apply your minds, especially good Presbyterians, one of our great traditions, apply your mind to the text, to scripture, and to the world. Look at the world, explore the world, understand the world, and know that uh, if God has created the world, that what you will find is him. And that all truth is God's truth. But if you merely stay at truth and you do not have love, you have yet to find community. And so there is a knowledge that comes from love that cannot come purely from truth, although truth is a precondition. So let's talk a bit about how we know what we know in this text and, and, and how Paul helps us to understand a big word called epistemology. Okay, For those of you who don't like big words, that's just a way of talking about how we know what we know, what justifies distinguished, uh, justified belief from our own opinion. How do we even know what truth is, especially in the culture that we live in? Let me show you two slides that raise the question, both from Time Magazine. These were 50 years apart the front page of Time magazine. Is God dead? It was birthed out of uh, the 60s, right? And this is the beginning of postmodernity. Uh, this sense by which we're, we've now, as a culture, moved beyond the need for God and into creating our own truth, defining it for ourselves out of our experience. And then this, this uh, second uh, magazine, uh, this uh, cover, is from 2021. And you can see Time Magazine's picking up on the same idea because we, we intuitively know that the one cover creates the second cover. That if God is dead, then ultimately our ability to find truth is also dead. And what that creates, uh, Brett McCracken writes, and I agree with, is this idea of an epistemological crisis. Meaning that we have no real way of knowing the truth anymore. Once these two things are dead, what are we left with? Well, we're certainly not left with a lack of facts, right? We're certainly more knowledgeable. 
We might even say we have this thing in our pocket that's smarter than anything that any human has ever had before. Like if you wanted to right now, you could just pop out your phone, you could go 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and you could just start getting all of the facts about what was happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'm sure that afterwards you could come to me and you could tell me, Pastor, here's the four ways in which your facts may be incorrect based off of X, Y, and Z, right? And maybe you would have the head knowledge, but would you have the love? Would you um, have the true knowing? Now the facts matter here, right? Like we're saying that, that we want to get it right, that the truth matters, but we can be really smart and yet be totally unwise, right? We can be incredibly intelligent, but if that intelligence is misguided, it is totally destructive. Martin Luther King Jr., in speaking on the war in Vietnam, once said that we have guided missiles and misguided men. Right? And so we can look all the way back. We can look all the way back to the Tower of Babel for this truth that Paul is drawing on. It says we can build buildings and skyscrapers to the sky, but if we don't stop and ask, what is this in service to? Is this in service to love for brother and sister or not? And that fundamental question is how scripture would teach us how to think about truth, a truth that is undergirded and in service to love. Let's look at what I think is a helpful teaching. This is from Brett McCracken uh, on wisdom that may help us as Christians to think through our epistemological crisis, to learn again how do we discover truth. Let me read it to you if it's hard for you to read. So this is like taking a food pyramid. You remember those old food pyramids with the, with the junk food on the top? Uh, and then at the bottom is the most nourishing. Okay, so in this pyramid, we have the Bible, right, as the most nourishing thing. That if we really want to know truth, one of the first things that we do is acknowledge our created nature. That God is creator and we are creature. And isn't that a good thing, like, to acknowledge that we're designed and made, and it with, it's with intention, and the scripture is where we really learn what that intention is, and where it comes from, and how the creator has designed their creation to be and to operate. And so... Here, as we surrender to this truth, as we acknowledge this truth, which is so hard for us to do, as much as we would like to say we do this all the time, it's really true that it's hard for us to say, I am the created one. I am not the creator. 
and, and to look to God. And as we look to God, as we revere God, then we began a new journey towards wisdom. We begin to be wise people. Right, and then here's the other recommendations that actually out of the Bible then we have this collective learned wisdom. So in the church, there are some wise people here that as you navigate your day-to-day reality in 2022 that may raise questions that aren't food sacrificed to idols, but may be a third issue that needs some discernment that you would have some people that have navigated life for long enough that they might be able to teach you how the scripture applies to your life and give you some good earned wisdom or simply to model for you the love of Jesus in a posture that says, hey, you don't need to know every answer, but I'm here, I love you. The church is here to collectively help you discern. I love how in the Quaker tradition, for example, they would even come to pivotal moments in each other's lives and they might sit down in a room and spend time just asking questions of that person to really get at the heart of if God is calling them into the new thing or what decision that they would make. And as a group together, as the church together, they they share collective wisdom so that that person would feel like they're making the right decision, that they have a community of people that are helping them to discern. When was the last time you brought a hard decision to a brother or sister in the life of this church? Maybe you have good This is a place where you can learn to grow in wisdom. And then we see nature and beauty, that that God's uh, wisdom, his knowledge is declared by creation itself. You feel it when you go to somewhere beautiful. When you stand on a mountaintop and you look out, you feel this sense of God declaring He is the creator and he's created his creation good. And there's a perspective shift that comes from this experience of being out in nature. And and of course, then you can get to books and wisdom. We got our resident uh, English scholar, Dave, right, who helps us to see how God's knowledge is in the great writings, great historical writings. And we don't look at that like, okay, so because there's great knowledge in books that every single author was, knew, had their theology worked out in order to have this knowledge, we look at it as good Reformed Presbyterians and we say, no, wherever we find truth, it's God's truth. And we learn how to point it out and to say what's true in that novel I see in this Bible, and it's profoundly articulated with human creativity, and that is God working through somebody and they don't even know it. That they've actually accessed God's truth, and our job as culture, uh, uh, intelligent cultural navigators is to point people that have come to access the truth but don't know the source of that truth and to show them, hey, look, the source of this knowledge, the reason why you're so smart and intelligent is so that you can help your brother and sister flourish because Jesus made you to use your intelligence in that way. 
to use your creativity, to use your artistry in that way. When an artist paints or makes a movie or writes a poem, that even in the act of doing art, even in the act of participating in that type of creativity, what they're really doing is doing what God made them to do. Even if they can't know it themselves. Paul gives us a really fun little small truth here at the end that I think helps us to go back to the passage in 1 Corinthians 8 to just see a little deeper about how you elevate a principle of love. 1 Corinthians 3 says, But whoever loves God is known by God. Commentator Richard B. Hayes relates Paul's teaching here to another teaching that he has in Galatians 4.9. I love this one. I've shared it with a few of you, but it says this. But now that you have come to know God, comma, or rather to be known by God. And Hayes points out that in this text, Paul commits an error of theological grammar and stops to correct himself in mid-sentence. Meaning that God's truth can be revealed through a grammatical error. Amen? Anybody in the room say yes to that? It's really interesting, right, for those of us who are bad at grammar. But there's an intention behind this grammatical error. It's saying, Paul's interrupting himself to say that your knowledge of God is predicated on God's knowledge of you. In Psalm 139.15, we read this articulated directly. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. My son loves to make Legos, and he makes different creations out of them. And if he was just to present it to you and say, don't you love this? Tell me what it is. You would have no idea what it is. Sometimes... This is how we feel. We're created, but we don't know how all the parts fit or where they matter. But if you ask him, the creator, he can tell you each and every part and why it matters and why it's the coolest thing that was ever made. And a lot of our work has to do with connecting with God to discover our true selves to realize that all the parts that you don't understand are there, are there for a reason, and that they matter, and that God designed them to be there, and all of it is so that we can learn to not put hedges up or walls up unnecessarily between one another, but as we come to know God and realize why he made us the way he did, that it becomes easy to love that our defenses can go down and we can just understand that love is more important. Because God knows us and loves us, we extend that love. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, this great truth that you know us and it is a joy to be known by you. Lord, help us to bring every part as we prepare for communion today Lord, prepare us to be with you so that we can know you 
and we can be nourished by all that you have given through your sacrifice, Lord, on the cross. May we uh, bring our full selves to you as we respond to your great, unconditional, forgiving love. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.